First, we had a federal election. So how do you think that went? I'll tell you if we, yeah, Pete, yeah, I'm getting like mixed reactions already. If we took a poll for those in the room or those of you online, uh, here's what we would get. And I know this is true because I've talked to a whole bunch of people this past week. Some people would say, well, it went pretty well. And some people would say, this was a disastrous outcome. Some of us would say, I'm a little bit upset that we had an election in the first place. Why do we have an election at this place? In fact, I've read a whole bunch of articles this week talking about how uh, divided things are in the world. And that's not new because over, I think, over the last couple of years, we see all kinds of divisive issues that have come into play. Uh, and people are often upset about this or that. And then you realize that uh, there's differing opinions. And so... Um, if you just wanted to talk about politics this week, you could probably get into a good argument if you wanted to. Here's who I think should have won. Here's a, you know, so if you're here in West Hamilton, Ancaster, Dundas, we elected uh, the liberal representative. And in Canada, we, uh, we gave the uh, liberals a minority government, which is what we already had. And again, some of us maybe think that that's how things should be. And that's a good balance of power and blah, blah, blah. Others of us think this is a terrible thing. We have differing opinions. So if you want to get in a fight this past week or this coming week, that's good advice if you want to get in a fight this week, talk to somebody about politics and, and be really brash about it like your opinion. Like go to somebody and assume that you, they know that you're right and you know that you're right and just blast them with your opinion without asking or listening to what their opinion is. And I, I bet it'll just take you a couple of people before you can get into some kind of good argument. All right, well, continue through the week. And then here in Ontario, uh, it started this past week that if you want to go into certain places, you have to prove vaccination. Okay, so now if you want to have a fight and politics didn't work for you, go talk about whether or not we should have these, these proof of vaccines to get into certain places, and that's good because I've had discussions with people this week. I've had some people who say uh, these vaccine uh, passports or whatever you want to call them, uh, this is a government overreach, this is about control, uh, this is too much, this is going to hurt businesses, this is going to hurt our freedoms, all kinds of other stuff. I've talked to other people who have said, you know what, I find it extremely comforting to be able to go into a restaurant to know that everybody else there is vaccinated. I find it comforting to go places with my kids who can't be vaccinated and to know that they're around people who have been vaccinated and it keeps people safe and I think it's for the greater good and there's all kinds of opinions sprinkled in through there on what you think about that issue and so if you want to have a fight talk about politics or talk about vaccines or talk about proof of vaccines and I bet if you go around long enough you will get into some fights and that's just the tip of the iceberg. There are so many things, so many things that we have very strong opinions about that we could easily make divisive issues. And you see it over and over and over. Does anybody still go on Twitter? I know this is kind of an old thing. Not really. Okay, revive your Twitter account if you haven't been on there for a couple of years. And just go on, because mostly, here's what I find. Every once in a while I check Twitter, and nobody that I actually know tweets anything. Like, I don't think any of you people tweet anything. But people who are trying to sell books or who are journalists and stuff, they still tweet stuff to try and get their things out there. And here's what's happening on Twitter. And it's the same on all your social media. But people are just, here's my opinion blasting it out there. And then you have 800 people telling them why they're stupid and this is a terrible opinion. You can't believe you think this and this is wrong and you're ruining our country and you're ruining the world and you're blah, 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 blah. And it is so easy for us to be divided. And we wish that everybody would agree with us. Because you hold your opinions because you think you're right. 
That's why it's your opinion. If you thought it was wrong, it wouldn't be your opinion, right? That's just how that works. So I believe the things that I think are right. You believe the things that you think are right. And we hold those opinions because we really think they're right. And so somewhere deep down, we also think that everybody else should think what we think. Because why? Because we're right. Well, I'm right. So if you want to be right, you just uh, should agree with me. But the reality is, and this is what I think, uh, this is my opinion. Maybe you're going to disagree with me. I think that this is, I think this is pretty standard. The truth is that our individual freedom to do what we want, to think what we want, ultimately, no matter what it is, has consequences. And that even though we each decide how we're going to live, our decisions impact other people. I think that's just true. We should acknowledge that. Because there's a lot of talk um, about freedom. Right? And, and even through the, uh, you know, COVID restrictions and all this kind of stuff, you hear that quite a bit as a theme, like our freedoms, and we have to make sure that we're preserving our freedoms. So that's great, and I'm all for freedom, but we just need to know that there's, there's no such thing as I can just do whatever I want and it won't affect anybody else. That's just not the world we live in. We live in a world in such a way that what I do will ultimately affect other people. What you do is going to affect me and vice versa, and there's going to be ripples out into our community, into our world. That is true. So there's no such thing as I'm just going to do what I want to do, and there's going to be no consequences for other people. We are linked. And I think a pandemic has shown us that, right? If you think that you can just live in isolation, well, just look over the last 18 months. It's just not true. We're all linked. So I think that's true. And then I think this other part is true. We don't and we won't agree on everything. So two things. One, our decisions will impact one another, whether we like it or not. What I do has an impact on you and vice versa and all around. And we do not and will not always agree on what the best decisions are. Well, that's, I mean, that's a... A bit of a pickle, isn't it? <laughs> well, what you do is going to affect me, but I have no control over what you do, or at least limited control, or what you decide to do. How do we live in that tension? How do we live in that kind of diversity of opinion, of thoughts on many, many important issues? We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. If you're watching along with us, uh, we were just online at that point, and we talked about uh, the, just, just the fact that we can't just come up, uh, and, and as a church community or any kind of community, we can't just come up with a list of stuff and say, let's all agree to live this way, and that'll be our boundary, because it's just, it's just not tenable. We're not all going to agree on, on all the important things. There's going to be disagreements. And so we talked about how love picks up where law leaves off. So we could come up with a bunch of laws. Here's what we believe and how we agree to live together. But at some point, we're going to have to say, we're going to have to go further than that. We're going to have to love each other because just all trying to follow the same amount of rules, A, is not going to be possible. It's not going to be practical because we're going to start to disagree on some of those things. And we're going to, some people are going to break those rules and we're going to have to try and fix it and all that kind of stuff. And B, it just doesn't really, it doesn't really mesh with what we read about who Jesus says God is which is someone who goes far beyond the law to love and to bring people together, even in the midst of diversity. And so we have to ask the question, well, how could we actually build a community like that? And it's a huge challenge, practically speaking. So we started a couple of weeks ago by talking about how love picks up where law leaves off. So we need uh, to go beyond the rules. The rules are important. We might start with a bunch of, here's some stuff that's good for us. 
but then we need to figure out how to love one another. And today what I want to do, because we're working through the book of Ephesians in the New Testament, and what I want to do is say, well, it's really nice to say we should all love each other. And I'd probably get a lot of agreement on that, but we would still get a lot of disagreement on the practical steps of how to work that out. So I want to get a little bit more specific today, because this is a big theme in the book of Ephesians. So the early church is actually a gathering. This is 2,000 years ago. Jesus has died. He was resurrected. Uh, People encountered him. They started churches. And then they realized the really good part of it was people were coming together from all different ethnic backgrounds and religious backgrounds. It was very diverse. But, as you might well imagine, they come to a point where they go, but we disagree on a lot of stuff. And so how do we protect our unity? How do we stay together? What holds us together in a world that is so easily divided? And even amongst us, where there's so many issues that we might disagree on. It's funny, even you look at, uh, there's, there's entire uh, series, Christian book series, where you can pick an issue and the book is like four views on blank, four views on blank, four view, and there's, you know, this series, multiple series, that'll do that kind of thing. And it's basically saying, um, you know, it'd be great to think that all Christians agree about this topic, but here's actually scholars that represent four different positions that you can read about. They disagree widely. You go, wow, even, even when we say, not just as our, our world or our country or our neighborhood, but as As fellow believers, we're going to disagree on a wide range of issues. How are we actually going to live that out? What needs to be our commitment to be able to do that? Because the the truth is that what we do will affect one another. We're going to impact each other in the way that we live. And we inevitably are not going to agree on everything. That's just the tension that we have to wade into. We have to try and figure out. And so what I want to talk talk about today is how can we have unity amidst such diversity? How can we do that? So let me read from Ephesians chapter 4. This is going to be our text today. Uh, Just going to look at six verses, and I think they're powerful and talk about uh, how we can approach one another and give us some principles uh, for trying to be a a group of people that can put on display the unity that God has for us, even in a world where that's very difficult. It says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Okay, so we start here. Um, The encouragement here is, right from the beginning. And what we've, what we've had, hopefully, if you've been watching through the series, you can always go back and, and watch on YouTube and get caught up. Um, but we've been really talking about the character of God, the grace of God, the way he calls us into a new rhythm of living that uh, uh, really mirrors the grace that he has for us, that we now live in that. Um, and chapter three, there's been this prayer uh, talking about how we might even come to, to know the power of God and the love of God. And it's this powerful prayer you can read at the end of Ephesians chapter three that you would really, really understand how much God loves us and how powerful that is and how that changes everything. And then he comes to this and he says, so now I urge you, this is really, really important for you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. So walking is a metaphor for the way that you live, the decisions that you make, the choices that you make and how to live. So every day, your everyday decisions, this is how I'm going to live. These are my values. This is how I'm going to live out my values. That's walking. So just as we try and get somewhere by one step, And then another step, the decisions that we make each day are the way we walk. And he's urging us to walk in a way that is worthy of our calling that we have been called. So what is the calling? 
We have a similar, we have, we have kind of a, a, we're not talking about like your individual calling, your individual calling, but a communal calling. This is referring to what Jesus talked about as his main uh, announcement, his, his main uh, point of the reason why Jesus even showed up on the scene. He talked about the kingdom of God. So what would it look like if the world became more and more like God was in charge? A God who is love. And so Jesus uh, announced the kingdom of God is, is now at hand. It's now here. You can now experience it. Even in the midst of all the other kingdoms and all the other powers that, that will operate in a certain way in this world, you can now experience the kingdom of God. And everything that Jesus taught and lived out and showed us was him putting on display what the kingdom of God looks like. Ultimately, it looks like someone who in love would give up his life, die to himself, and to be raised again in a new life. And that's the pattern that we're called to live in. The kingdom of God that comes in love and grace and forgiveness. The kingdom of God that has, uh, that has those who are disadvantaged, those who are in the margins in mind. That we would care for people, that we would include people, that we would forgive people. That we would build a kingdom that isn't about uh, who's earned their way in and, and who's earned their way to the top, but instead flips all those things uh, on their head and said, we're here to serve each other and to, to care for each other, to make sure that everybody has enough a place where we receive what God has given us and we distribute what God has given us to others who need it instead of always thinking that we need to earn this and make this and get to a certain place in life. And so now the early church, well, how do we figure this out? He said, I'm urging you now, you've, you can receive that. That's a free gift. You get grace, you get forgiveness, you receive it. Now he's saying, I want to urge you, I just want to urge you to walk, to live every day in a way that's worthy of that call. In other words, to live like Jesus lived. Like the kingdom of God is really at hand, and so we can receive and we can give all the things that God gives to us. And that can be who we are. And we are then part of what God is doing to reconcile all things. That's how God is reconciling the cosmos, the entire universe, bringing everything together in this love and grace and forgiveness. It's a beautiful work of God that we now have an opportunity to live in. And so in a world that is always dividing... In a world that is always about, uh, I want to get what I want to get, and I, and I am right and you are wrong, and it's us versus them, and we put up walls between relationships between each other, and we build up, these are the people that belong, they're in, and these are the people that are out, and all that kind of stuff. We have an opportunity to live in a way that is worthy of our calling that says, the kingdom of God, which Jesus often talked about, is kind of like a party, where the people that you didn't think were going to get invited get invited. And they get to celebrate, even though people would say they have nothing to celebrate. They haven't earned anything. Or they're poor. Or they're guilty. Or they, they don't really fit in. And you say, actually, those are the people we're going to all invite in. And we're going to have a big party and celebrate. Why would we celebrate? Because those people have everything that they need. God is giving them everything that they need graciously. He's forgiving them. He's providing for them. Live lives worthy of that. Be party people. Keep inviting people who are in need and saying, oh, I can, I can help. I can give. I can be generous because God's been generous to me and create that kind of kingdom of God, heaven coming to earth. Well, how are we going to do that? And there's some uh, beautiful, specific cues that are super challenging to us. And these are actually characteristics, qualities that, are not often pop that were not popular when they were written. So I'm going I'm to outline three of them here. These were not... Hey, everybody thinks this is a good idea. These were things that actually were values or characteristics that were looked down upon in the culture that they were written to. 
And I think in our culture, there's a bit of a mix. Some people would say, yes, they're good. Some people would say, eh, in certain settings, these things aren't going to work. But they're, they were very radical and uh, countercultural in their day. First one, verse 2, is with all humility. Humility, again, in the ancient world was not a prized characteristic. Still not in a lot of phases of our lives, and depending who you're listening to and talking to. Well, how should we be uh, leaders if you're in a leadership space? What should our government be like? What should our um, sort of ethos of our nation or our community be? Say, well, we should be humble or lowly, lowly of mind. We should have experience a lowliness of mind. Like I'm not better than anybody else. I don't consider myself better than anybody else. I don't consider that uh, I know everything, that I'm right about everything, that I'm better than anybody, even that it's my job to fix other people. And sometimes these it can be very difficult, I think, even in a religious uh, setting, because some of these, uh, I think we sort of trick ourselves to think, well, they're very well-intentioned, and maybe they are very well-intentioned. But to think, well, I know the truth, and I, my job is to tell everybody the truth so they can, they can agree with me. Well, that doesn't sound very humble. Say, yeah, but the truth is in the Bible. And say, yes, how you interpret the Bible, and you're convinced that you interpret it right. But do you ever listen to anybody else and how they interpret it? What they think? Are you willing to listen to someone who has a differing opinion? See, some of us in our quest for truth become very proud if we're honest about it. And we've made it our job to make sure that everybody else gets it right the way that we've got it right and fixes their life the way that we think they should fix their life. But here we're encouraged to come with humility, a lowliness of mind. Maybe, maybe I don't have it all right. We talked about this at the beginning. You have your opinion because you think you're right, and I have my opinions because I think I'm right. That's great, but we all have to realize it's possible, some more than others, that I'm wrong. Not me, more you guys. No, I'm just kidding. That would be a bad example. A loneliness of nine. Maybe I haven't seen things from every angle. Maybe somebody else's perspective is really important. Maybe somebody else's experience has given them a certain insight that I could learn from. A loneliness of mind. Number two, a gentleness. I'll give you a quote what gentleness means. Kind of the original Greek word here from a scholar named Andrew Lincoln. He says it involves courtesy, considerateness, and willingness to waive one's rights that come from seeking the common good without being concerned for personal reputation or gain. Whew. So now we come to our freedom. Well, I have freedom to do whatever I want. Well, okay, that's great. But number one, we already talked about this. What you do is going to affect and impact other people. So you need to think about that. Number two, and you might not be a Jesus follower today watching this. That's okay. But if you're a Jesus follower, you need to know that you follow the gentle one who waived his rights, who although, although he had everything, you know, we talk about in Philippians, um, that, that passage talking about uh, he didn't, he didn't uh, consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to hold on to. It's like, wait, he had equality with God, he part of the Trinity, that he had that level, and he didn't consider that something to hold on to for dear life, but instead he gave it up to become a servant to people. If you're a Jesus follower... That's what we're signing up for. Again, not always the most popular characteristic in our culture, in the world. But this is what Jesus did to become gentle, to say, I would waive my rights for the common good. Now, that's interesting when you start to think about moral issues or social issues. 
how to deal with the world around us, how to think through the very practical issues that we have. Even, even this week, we think about an election, we think about uh, restrictions for people who are vaccinated or not vaccinated, all this kind of stuff. You go, how, would I, how should I kind of filter through my decisions? Well, how about this? By being humble and saying, I might not know everything. I maybe could learn from other people who disagree with me, who bring another perspective, who, who have different experiences and different backgrounds and come to different conclusions. I might not be right. And if I'm going to follow Jesus, I will be willing to waive my rights for the common good. We still might not agree at the end of the day what that means. But the conversation is going to be a lot different, isn't it? The process is going to be a lot different, isn't it? Instead of saying, so I'm going to do whatever I want to do, maybe we're going to get together with some people and, and ask them what they think we should do. We should do together. Asking them for their perspective and what they've learned and what they know and what their expertise is, what their experience has taught them, what they're really worried about, what they're struggling through, to really understand somebody else rather than just hoping you can get them to agree with you. That is, I think much more difficult, and I think it's much more powerful. It means that being in relationship will be more important to us than being right. And we'll work out what we think it means to be right in relationship, in community. And even if we disagree, we will be building relationship along the way instead of destroying relationship. He goes on to talk about patience, and patience here is defined by what he says next, bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another means full, listen to this, another quote by Andrew Lincoln. Bearing, he's using the language here uh, in, in the Greek and telling us what it means in that context. Bearing with one another, with others, means fully accepting them in their uniqueness, including their weaknesses and faults, and allowing them worth and space. It's when someone else's concerns weigh more heavily than one's own desires for personal fulfillment and peace of mind. Like instead of saying, I just want to make sure that you're right, whatever I think right is. Your experience, your struggles, your hurts, your pains will mean more to me. And I will bear with you. I will help carry you those loads for you. I will help care for you in those ways. I will see your plight and your problems. And instead of judging you from a distance, I will step into your world and show you an acceptance, even in your weakness and faults by actually helping you in a practical way. I will help bury, bear your weight, the weight that you're under. Man. I mean, this challenge is sort of what we think about. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago too, right? We say, well, I love everybody. Okay, will you bear their load? Do you care about their weight? Well, here's how I think they should live. Well, that's great. Do you know what their problems are and their struggles are? And will you get into their life and help them carry the heavy things? Or are you just going to stay at a distance and say, I have opinions about what you should do and what you shouldn't do? You could see how one path would lead to division. We all have opinions, and here's what I think you should do and what you should think and what you should say. Well, I think I should do this and do that and say this, and I think you should do that. Well, we're always going to divide, but what if we said, wow, man, I don't know if I agree with you on all that, but I can see some of the stuff you're going through. How could I help you? Man, that would be a different approach to our, our issues, wouldn't it? Personally, in marriage, that would change your marriage. That would change our neighborhood. 
I mean, could you imagine, in my opinion, by the way, is I think we have sometimes better government than other government. But what if we said the church, the gatherers of people in Jesus' name, we weren't just going to depend on our government to solve all our problems. But what if we just looked around and saw people in need and said, I, we could go bear some of the weight of that. Instead of just expecting that legislation is going to solve all our problems, because I don't think it will. Oh, well, we can create, I wish the government, I wish the government agreed with me on everything, because I think I'm right about everything. And I wish that they would make certain laws to make certain things legal and make certain things illegal. And I think that would be better. But that's not going to happen. But what if we said, okay, the government, I hope that they'll do really good. I hope that they'll hold up Christian values. But more important is that I make sure I hold up Christian values. That we hold up Christian values. That when we see struggles in our city, we don't just say, well, I hope our government will legislate against that. That's not really the Christian way. I do hope that. But what if we went to carry some loads for people who are struggling? I mean, that's, that's really, what if we just got humble and gentle and patient with people to carry their loads? It would just be so powerful. What if we were a community that would do that for one another? I think sometimes uh, in churches, we misplace our priorities. I think uh, a lot of times, because uh, religious people, I think in general, Certainly Christian people, and I'm from Christian circles, so I think I can, I can speak as an insider. We often, uh, we just prize being right about stuff because it means a lot to us. Because what we think about God means a lot to us, and it should. And what we think about morality, mor- mor- uh, morality means a lot to us, and it should. But then we think the most important thing is being right about those things. And I think we make a mistake when we prize agreement over acceptance. We should all agree, and then everything's going to fall in place. Because here's the problem. We don't all agree. It's just reality. So I think what we need to do is say acceptance needs to come before agreement. Because agreement might not come on every issue. You say, well, but that'd be really difficult because then we'd have all these people that would come together that would disagree on stuff and, and sometimes there'd be people who would do certain things and live certain ways and I wouldn't agree with that. Exactly. It would be super messy. It's exactly, it's exactly what, what Jesus did. Let's just invite all those people to the party. Yeah, but some of those people are immoral. Yeah, all of those people are immoral. So let's just invite the ones we think are immoral too. Right? Let's be a little bit humble about it and go, oh, I'm immoral also. Okay. So I belong, but they can belong too. Let's make acceptance the primary goal. Because agreement is so elusive for us. In fact, I think that our acceptance of one another should reflect God's acceptance of us. So some of us would say, here's a little trick that happens subconsciously. We withhold acceptance in the name of agreement. And we do that for a number of reasons. Now, if we go to the dark side, we do it because we want to be in control and comfortable, and people that disagree with us make us uncomfortable. On the lighter side, we do it because we want what's best for people. We want people to live in a way that they're going to thrive. So when we see them doing something that is harmful, we don't want that. And sometimes, I hear this all the time, we don't want to condone people's behavior. We don't want, to th- we don't want them to think we condone their behavior. So I, I can't fully accept them because they need to know that this isn't right. And I totally get that, you know, because these are real things and we want people to do what's best for them and what's best for... 
But man, I'm just so glad that God didn't do that with me. I'm going to be standoffish until Dave really comes around. Because I, I never would have. Because that's not what's transformative, is the guilt and the shame. What's transformative is that Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped and held on to. Instead, he came for us. To die for us, to accept us, to love us. To be the father that the prodigal son could run into his arms before he's repented, before he's changed his life around, before he's fixed his issues, before he's got it all right. And so our acceptance for one another, I think, needs to mirror God's acceptance for us. It says, well, so then... Does it mean that there's, it doesn't matter how we live? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we have to change our priorities. Because God doesn't just say, well, and then it doesn't matter how you live. But he says what's going to be transformative first is, I want to show you all the acceptance that you need. You're loved. You're forgiven. Grace abounds. You just receive it. And so what if we said that's going to be our primary goal? Because we don't agree on everything, but we can accept one another. Okay, real quick. Uh, what's going to shape our unity then? So we'd say, well, then is it all bets are off? It doesn't matter how you live or what you think or what's going on. We're just all going to magically be united. Well, there are some things. There's some limits. And we have to say, well, what does bring us together as followers of Jesus? And this passage goes on to give us a whole bunch of them. I'm going to run through them quick. And uh, you can come back to them uh, in your own time. He talks about uh, seven ones. There is one of these, and there's seven of them, two groups of three, and then one on its own. One body, one spirit, one hope. The church is meant to be the embodiment of what God is doing in the entire cosmos to reconcile and bring all things together. That is the hope. That is the kingdom of God. God is reconciling all things together. He's taking everything that's wrong and fractured and broken and bringing it together. Our hope is that we get to be part of that. And Jesus calls us to live that way now, even when we still see the brokenness. And so there's one spirit. That's what the Spirit of God is doing, reconciling all things, hope. Spirit of God working in all different nations to all different people in all different kinds of ways. And so there's one body. That is, that is the job of the body, which is the believers of Jesus, people who are following Jesus coming together. We now are the hands and feet. We're a physical, visible, visible manifestation of the invisible God, the Spirit, working out the hope of the world to bring together. That's our job, is to be part of that. So you go, well, what do we have to believe? Well, there's a lot of specifics we might disagree on, but that's where we're going. That's what the Spirit of God is doing. Second little triad, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. The earliest Christians, their creed, their beliefs, they didn't have a huge list of we have to agree on everything, but the first confession that they had is Jesus is Lord. So how do we order our lives? We follow Jesus. That's what gives us shape to our community. Jesus is Lord, which means what he taught us is what we're going to try and do. That's how we're going to try and figure out our morality. That's how we're going to figure out how to treat each other. There's one Lord and it's Jesus. We try and follow Jesus. So there's one faith it's trust and dependence in Jesus and one baptism. And baptism is the initiation into the death and resurrection of Jesus, which is what we talked about, that whole idea of gentleness, which says, I would give up myself in death. I would die to who I am and to my desires and to my selfishness and to my sin and then be resurrected in Jesus in a new life. That's what unites us. We are all called to die and to rise again in Jesus, to die to our old self, to our sinful self, and to be raised in Christ and to live in Christ. So Jesus is Lord. That is our commitment. And again, we might disagree along the way. But there's some really big picture stuff that if you read through Jesus becomes really clear. To become a servant of all. To forgive. To be gracious. 
to wage war on religious hypocrisy that goes against those things. These are all very clear messages of Jesus. To move towards the cross. So what should this look like? Later in this chapter, verses 15 and 16 in Ephesians 4, it says, We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint, with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We should be looking more like Jesus, which in the end means together we're built up in love. That'll be our test. How are we doing as a church? Do we look more like Jesus now than we used to? Well, let's learn more about Jesus over and over. That's why we do this every week. Let's learn more about Jesus so that we know what it'll look like. And then let's try and walk in a way that is worthy of that calling. And then finally, one God, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, the God, okay, so let's unpack this. God who is Father, which means we're his children. So we're all siblings. We're all family. We're all together. Right? We're, we're, we're linked, whether we like it or not. He is our Father. So it means, and this is very powerful in a very, uh, when it was written in a very pluralistic culture where everybody, every little group had their own God. Well, actually, we think that we have one God and we're all brothers and sisters. So we're all linked in relationship, whether we like it or not, whether we acknowledge it or not. And he is overall, this is uh, transcendence and imminence. He's overall, but he's also in all. He's everywhere. And that's whether or not we choose to see him or not. Which means to me, this goes back to, by the way, this is very Jewish roots, like the Shema, uh, Hero Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. We shall love our Lord, the God, with all our... This is, comes from uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, a confession of monotheism. Um, and so this is being reimagined now, speaking of the God who is our Father that we see in Jesus, who is over all and in all. He is all over. We're just, it's our job to experience him. Which means, I think, our unity is rooted in the fact that we're already united. Just think about that for a second. We just need to wake up to that reality and work on preserving it. That's the encouragement here. He says this, I want you to maintain, I'm urging you to maintain this, if we go back uh, to our passage. Eager to maintain the unity. The unity's already there, whether you've seen it or not. God is father of everybody, and he's bringing everybody back together. That's the hope that we're all called to. We're all brothers and sisters. We're all created in the image of God. We all start in the same place. Now he's just urging them, you maintain that. Keep it going. We already have the unity. It's what God is doing. We just need to wake up to that reality and work on preserving it. You go, oh, we've ruined the unity. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of division. So what do we do? We're remembered. Wait, we all have one God. He's our Father. He's over all and in all and working through all. That is true. That's what God's doing. That's the hope of the world. He's bringing everything together. One day all the wrongs will be made right. Here, our encouragement is just, would you put everything into maintaining and living in that unity? That's what God's doing. The way that you fall out of that unity that you don't experience that unity, that you don't experience what God is doing, it's self-inflicted. It's when you opt out. We can certainly choose to live divided lives. We can live very individualistically. We can live selfishly. But this is what true of what God is doing. So now, live, walk in a manner worthy of that calling. Unified. 
We're all brothers and sisters. Yeah, but that person's wrong. That person's misguided. That person is doing bad things. It's your brother. That's your sister. We all have one father. Wake up to that reality and then work on preserving it. It's difficult. How do you do it? By being humble. I'm not better than everybody else. I don't have all the answers. I'm not right about everything. By being gentle, willing to give up what you want and your freedoms and your rights for the common good of other people. Being patient and bearing with one another. That is, not just having opinions about other people, but helping carry their loads, understanding who they are, listening to them, finding out what they need, and actually being part of a solution for them. These are the ways. There's a, a word in the New Testament, it's a really cool word in Greek, uh, that we often translate together. So it's in, a, it's in places like Romans 15, 5, and 6, which say this, very similar to what we've read here. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together, that's, a trans, that's the word translated, together, you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's this encouragement, just like the one we've got in Ephesians. That, oh, I just encourage, this is so urgent. It's an emergency that you maintain the unity. It's just so important because this is what God is doing, bringing people together. So that's what you should be doing, bringing people together in all these ways we've talked about. And so this idea of being together, that should come together, it comes from a Greek word that has two parts to it. Uh, the word is homothumadon. That's going to be fun at dinner parties. You go to people, hey, you ever heard of homo thumidon? Well, let me break it down for you. First part, uh, homo, it means the same. Second part is, comes from the word thumos, which means to snort with passion, usually a passionate rage or intense fury, like you're really angry. So maybe, I, didn't, I don't really know how to translate that very well, except maybe, do we have the emoticon? The emoticon? It's this one. That's thumos. It's like... This is the one, uh, like later today, I'm going to watch football and some of the players are going to post pictures of them coming out and they're all fired up and it's like, we're together as a team and we're going to win and we're going to kill the other team. And they post this, like, we're angry and we're breathing out of our noses. That's thumos. It's like, we're so angry, we're so passionate about this. So homo and thumos together is a passionate snorting for togetherness. Man, I don't know. These people are, I'm in this room. I'm watching online and I know there's other people in my church and they're wrong about stuff and they've got some sketchy theology sometimes and they've got weird opinions about vaccinations and they've got weird opinions about the government and they've got weird opinions sometimes about morality and I don't agree with how they interpret the Bible and all this kind of stuff, but I will passionately snort with them to be together. I will fight for relationship with them even when we disagree. I will not let disagreement mean that we can't be brothers and sisters. I will listen to them. I will care for them. I will find out what drives them and what motivates them and try to understand their perspective even when it bugs me and when I think they're wrong. I will homothumadon them. Here's, uh, here's what I'd love for you to do. I'd love for you to pray this week about uh, who you're going to passionately snort to be in relationship with this, this year. Like, who am I going to invest in this year? God, put that person on my heart. Because I know there's a bunch of people and we can't be that close to every person. It's too many people. But maybe God's going to put some people on your heart this year and you say, I'm going to carry those persons, some of that burden of those people this, this year. I'm going to find out what they need and I'm going I'm to patiently bear with them. I'm going to learn about them. Maybe it's somebody who's got 
looks different from you, has a different skin color from you, has a different ethnic background from you, has a different religious background, lives in a different neighborhood, in a different lifestyle. Maybe it's somebody you disagree with how they look at life. And you say, God, just put that person on my heart because I might disagree with them, but man, I will snort to be in relationship with them. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to have some signups for our life groups where we're going to, and we're, we're trying to work out some of the logistics of how to make that safe for everyone and work for everyone. And I'd love for you just to think about what your commitment might be to being in community. I mean, really? And you go, okay, and we're all going to come together and we'll just agree on everything? Nope. But we're going to agree in Jesus' name. One Father who's above all and in all and through all could bring us together even when that is not happening. So in terms of application today, I would love for you to all stand and we're going to snort together. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Can you imagine it's your first time and you're like, church is pretty cool, like the music was good and whatever. And then they all stood up and snorted together. That was weird. We don't need to do that. Listen, we don't need to do that, but we do need to do that. To have a passionate, aggressive commitment to love one another. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your passionate love for us. That you would come and get us. That you would accept us, forgive us, love us, die for us, defeat our greatest enemies, and be present with us. That acceptance is too big, I think, for our minds to grasp. And so our hearts just pour out praise to you for all that you are and all that you do for us. And our desire, I pray, more and more, is that our acceptance for one another would mirror your acceptance for us. Give us strength. Give us encouragement when that's hard. And build your kingdom in Jesus' name.